The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. If you're using the Pew Bible, we're on page 292. Oh, sorry, 252. Pardon me? 952. I cannot do numbers this morning, apparently. 952. <laughs> Paul called by the will of God to an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sophonies. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from our God and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were all called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Wendy, for reading that for us. And I do encourage you to have your copy of God's Word open to uh, that text. Uh, we started last week a new sermon series uh, on the book of First uh, Corinthians. We called it, we're calling it kind of messy church because if you know anything about uh, this church, there's a lot of things that Paul's going to have to deal with. A lot of issues are going to come up that he's going to have to, to, to uh, correct and instruct them on. Um, uh, last week, we talked about how that Paul was in Corinth. Does anyone remember how long he was in Corinth? I remember how long? Remember 18 months? Uh, 18 months? Yep, yeah, 18 months, year and a half. Uh, does anyone remember who did he meet there? Ministry partners that uh, became a member? Who did he meet there? Uh, I'm just doing a little review. Yeah, uh, yeah, Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, yep. There was a mixed result of rejection and acceptance. There was a vision from Jesus there. So I'm just trying to remind you of some of the things that we talked about and, and what happened. This is found in Acts 18, by the way. Uh, remember we said last week that when we come to 1 Corinthians, we're actually dropping in on a conversation that's been going on. Uh, this is not the first letter. Uh, we know from chapter 5 that Paul says that uh, the things I wrote to you before, and so we know this is not, even though in our Bibles it's called 1 Corinthians because it's the first one that we have, but it's, uh, it, this is at least the second letter uh, that was written there. And then the, they received, uh, Paul received reports uh, from uh, you know, different people. We're going to see uh, later on in chapter 1, uh, verse 11, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. So Chloe's people were talking to uh, Paul about what was going on in Corinth. And so there's, there's going back and forth. They apparently wrote to him because he's responding to things multiple times in a letter. He's going to say, uh, you know, now concerning things you wrote or concerning this, uh, he, he's responding to the things they wrote to him. So all that to say is 1 Corinthians, this book, 
look, we're, we're parachuting into this conversation that's happening, and we're going to glean from it as we do. Last week, we talked about how we all have a calling from God. We said that, that there's a specific nature of that, which includes time, place, and function. But the general call to holiness has to inform that specific call, is some of the things we talked about last week. This week, what we're going to talk about in verses 4 through 9, that's going to be our, our main text here, verses 4 through 9 is that there is, uh, Paul is showing his gratefulness for the recipients of uh, his letter. Now, this wasn't unusual. Uh, He often did this, and and this was pretty typical of letter writing of that time. Uh, The the form Paul follows is showing some gratitude for the people there, although instead of it being grateful for them, he's, he's more talking about their God in this. But he's showing gratitude. But what is a little bit unusual about this is when we know the story of the book. We already kind of know, or some of you know a lot of what's going on or what will happen in this book. And for Paul to say some of the things out of gratitude that he says on the front end, knowing what's going to happen throughout the rest of the letter, can cause us to say, well, that's a little bit unusual. I wonder why he said it that way or wonder why he did that way. So we're going to unpack that. Here's what I would suggest as a a thesis, if you will, of today's sermon. Um, If if I was going to kind of put it into one nutshell, it would be this. It would be that Paul's gratefulness for the Corinthians was based on seeing God's grace and knowing God's faithfulness. Okay, So we're going to see this from verses 4 through through 9 here, that Paul's gratefulness for the Corinthians was based on uh, seeing God's grace and knowing God's faithfulness. All right, let me pray, ask God's blessing, then uh, we'll talk about those two points here. Father, we want to pause and and just ask for your blessing. Um, Lord, I pray you would keep us from distraction. Uh, even my my own mind, I feel very distracted, and I just pray that uh, I would be able to put everything aside and focus on this text that's before me here, and that I'd be able to communicate in a way that's that's clear and that is is accurate to the text here. We're thankful for the opportunity to meet together here. Um, Lord, we just ask that that as we've opened your word, though, that your your spirit would guide us and teach us. And we want you to receive all glory and honor. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. All right. Let's look first of all at Paul's, how he saw God's grace in the Corinthians. Because his whole gratefulness here that was read to us, I give thanks to my God, verse 4. Uh, he's going to really break this down into really there's kind of like two clauses, if you will, in verses 4 through 9 here. And the first is his thanksgiving. And then he, he gives the reason for that. Did you see it there in verse 4? He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of what? The grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's basis of his gratefulness for the Corinthians, for the people that he's writing to, is based on the fact that he has seen that God has shown grace to them and has been very gracious to them. How so? What I want you to do is I just want you to look at the, 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 the words a little bit here. Uh, in verse uh, 5, it starts with that in every way. And then verse 6 says, even as. And then verse 7 says, so that. I'm only pointing that out because it's very clear that what Paul is doing here is he's unpacking the reasons or the ways that he has seen God show grace to the Corinthians here. So that's going to inform what we talk about for the next minute or two here. 
God's grace to the Corinthians and what Paul was able to see, first of all, was that they were extraordinarily gifted people, that God had gifted them. You see this in verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all all knowledge. Later on, he's going to say that they have these spiritual gifts. So they were gifted people. These were people that God had given them talents, God had given them abilities. This word can be both spiritual gifts and then also just general giftedness. And probably both are in mind here of what Paul is saying is that God has been very gracious to them and to this group of people here. He focuses, though, in verse 5, on two things. Do you see it in the text there? What he focuses on? Speech and knowledge. That's what he says. He says that, God, you've been enriched in him in speech and knowledge. Now, why did Paul choose those two things to center on? Why did he pull those out? Well, there's a few things. If if we understand a little bit about the, the culture and the context, that will help us understand that. But then if we understand the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll understand what he's doing here. First of all, the culture and the context. In the Greco-Roman world, rhetoric, there was a high emphasis put on rhetoric skill. Um, The ability to persuade, the ability to speak eloquently. Uh, This is going to be one of the reasons why Paul is going to play off on these things, these very things of speech and knowledge later on here, and I'll mention that in a second. But for for the time being, in this world, in the Corinthian world, what they were living in, rhetoric skill was very, very important. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, God's gifted you in this. God has blessed you in the ability to have these great speech Um, probably he's also bringing it up because they're most proud of them. And he's going to adjust this because what they were most proud of, he's going to start to try to put it in the proper perspective. I told you that he plays off of this. Well, in in chapter 2, you can look at chapter 2 in verse 3, no, verse 1. What does he say? And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And then he says in verse 4, In my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. What is he doing here? He's actually trying to say, listen, you're probably putting too much emphasis on the, the, the rhetorical skill that you have. And there's probably too much of, I mean, this is a good thing. It's a gift, but it's becoming, it's becoming too much of a, an emphasis. Knowledge. There's going to be 11 times in the rest of this book okay, 11 times where Paul is going to use the phrase, do you not know? 11 times. As he's going to be teaching them, he's saying, do you not know this? I believe it's connected to this because they really believed that they knew a lot, and they probably did, but they were leaning on that as wisdom when Paul is saying, no, no, that you're leaning on this too much. So while Paul is seeing God's grace in their life and he's seeing, he's celebrating that, I think he's beginning to set the stage to see how maybe they were going to be misusing the gifts. How do I know that? Well, if you were to look ahead and and we'll eventually get there, but chapters 12, 13, and 14 of this book are largely going to be Paul dealing with the misuse of gifts in the church here. And they include tongues. They include prophecies. This is all speech, right? They include knowledge and stuff. So I really believe what Paul is doing, he is not in a sarcastic way bringing up speech and knowledge. He's actually saying, God's gifted you in this. 
you've been enriched in this. But he's setting the scene to show them that how that they have they, they've, they've allowed the good thing to become a God thing probably in their lives. Here's a, a life maxim to go by, is that is this, is that our strengths often become our weaknesses. What we're good at in our strengths can also manifest itself in a weakness. And so I think it's true here with the Corinthians that their strength and knowledge and wisdom, uh, excuse me, knowledge and speech was was also their weakness because they were depending on it too much. So the strength that someone may have, maybe someone is highly organized, and that's that's a strength they have, and they 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 love organization, and they can make uh, whatever, whether it's their home, whether it's their workplace, whether it's their school calendar, whatever. They're always going to get the things done that need to get done. They're not going to be late, and it's highly organized. That's a strength. That strength can also become a weakness because then it manifests itself in inflexibility. It manifests itself in like, no, I've got my plan. You ever met someone like that? He's like, oh, I got my plan. You know, well, yeah, that's 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 good, but don't you think we we, we could go over here? No, I no, I I've planned this. Don't you understand? I mean, this is planned. God bless you. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, our strengths become weaknesses as well. Uh, some people uh, they're neat and orderly and tidy and things like that. That's good. And others, and then, but where it becomes a weakness is, is like, you know, no one can sit on the furniture in their house. You know, <laughs> there's plastic coverings over everything. Um, I, I, yeah, well, that's another story. But the point is, is um, our strengths can become our weaknesses. Uh, I, I told you that Paul's going to mention these gifts later on in wisdom and in speech and the misuse of that. So I think that's what he's doing here. But Paul is very sincerely saying, these are gifts that you have. These, these are gifts. And he's celebrating that. That's going to be instructive in a minute here. So keep that, file that in the back of your mind here that Paul is celebrating gifts that they were most likely misusing. Okay, he's celebrating the fact that God has graced them with this even though they were misusing them. Secondly, um, uh, the, the way of God's grace that, we, that Paul is celebrating here, first of all, in verse 5, it says that in every way. Now in verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed am, among you. So the gospel was confirmed among them. They, they, they embraced the gospel. And with the word testimony there has the idea of gospel, right? Um, we see this, the same word over here in chapter 2 and verse 1, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. He's talking about the gospel message there. Paul uses this word as the gospel in 2 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy as well. So what he's talking about here when he says this, he's saying that the gospel of God, the, 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 the message, the essence of the, the, the salvation message, that is being confirmed in you, that you believe that. Now, even though they had a whole host of problems that he was going to deal with, he was celebrating the fact that these were people who embraced Christ as their Savior. And he's celebrating that. So he's grateful for them. So before getting to any problems, before getting to any disagreements or divisions, what is he celebrating? He's celebrating the fact that they love Christ. God and that they've embraced the gospel. Now that does not mean that the divisions and the disagreements are unimportant because he's going to deal with them. 
So that don't hear me say, it doesn't matter if, we, if there's disagreements. As long as we all love the same God, we're good. Well, no, there's a little bit more to that. But we should celebrate if someone truly does love Christ. Hopefully that's making sense. So this is what he's doing. He's celebrating this. He's confirmed. It says it's confirmed. The word confirmed there is actually the same root word that we see in verse 8 and sustain. Um, just with a different emphasis. Here has the idea of it's verified. That it's verified, that, that they, it has been clear by the gifts that they've been given, by the spiritual gifts that they have, that they are embracing the gospel. Okay? It's being confirmed. And so for Paul, yeah, he's saying, I'm, I'm just grateful for you. I am grateful for you that God's grace is evident in your life. And I, I find great instruction there because sometimes, uh, you know, I'm going to move to application here probably prematurely here, but I'll just say that, that sometimes we want to focus in on, the, on how we're different with someone or division with someone before seeking to celebrate that God is doing a work in our life. And, of course, I'm talking about other believers here. And so when you see other people that God is doing something in their life and that maybe they look at something different or maybe they do something, maybe they've even sinned against you or it's just an obvious sin in their life, I'm not saying that it's, it's unimportant and you don't deal with that because Paul deals with all those things. But the first thing he does is he celebrates the grace of God in our life. Now, the reason why that's important is because that will then inform how we deal with those disagreements, how we deal with those sin patterns. Because remember from our, our series in Ephesians chapter 4, it was speak the truth how. Speak the truth in what? Love, right? And so if we need to speak the truth to people, but we need to do it in a caring way, what, how else can we have a greater caring spirit towards someone when we recognize, you know, God is gracious in their life. God is doing something in their life. They believe in Christ. And so that needs to be the foundation before I start dealing with anything else. Again, not that those things shouldn't be, or that we should ignore those differences, but that the gospel being confirmed is so important. One of the things that we say that I want to point out, though, is when he says here that it was confirmed among you uh, so that you, in verse 7, are not lacking any spiritual gift, uh, he's, he's talking to the representative of the whole. Uh, obviously, in the church, they were examples. They were outliers. And they were pr- people probably uh, a part of the church or attending the church that didn't fully embrace the gospel. Um, and probably that uh, we're unbelievers. Just like in any church today, um, there's people who uh, believe they're Christians and they're not. And so this is by him saying, this is not Paul saying each and every one of you was clearly verified in the gospel. He's saying as a whole the church was. It's kind of like if I were to say, uh, when, I, when I talk about our church, one of the things I'm, I'm grateful for our church and I, and I talk about it is that our church is generous. Our church is generous. And I'm so grateful for the generosity of our church, if, if, particularly if it's a need related to missions. Uh, our church is extraordinarily generous. So when I say that, I think everyone understands what I mean. As a whole, we're generous people. That does not mean that every person is extraordinarily generous because we have different levels of generosity that is in us. We have some people that are part of our church that are most likely, and I don't, I don't have a name in mind, but I'm just saying that I know how this goes, that are struggling with being generous. Um, and other people, that that's a really easy thing for them. So what Paul is saying here is he's celebrating the church. I think that's instructive because he's putting a great emphasis on the church. But he's, he's saying, here's God's grace, that amongst all of you as a whole, the gospel is confirmed. 
But there's one other thing that he says here, and just to, to show you his gratefulness, he says they didn't let, lack any spiritual gift. In verse 7, it says, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. Uh, what was he saying here? He was saying, God has been very generous to you. The people who make up your church, you know, they, they are just gifted people. And God has, I mean, you're, there's, there's nothing that's lacking there. And, and you should celebrate that. And Paul is celebrating that. Now, this is the beginning of letter. It's possible to read too much into the beginning of letter. But given what we know of the entire structure of the letter, given what we know of everything else that's going to come from it, um, I think it's very important here what Paul is doing here. He's saying we need to celebrate God's grace that is evident in people's lives here. Uh, they had what they needed and even more. This reminds me of Second uh, Peter chapter 1. It says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so just to show the generosity of God amongst the, the church at Corinth, Paul is, before he gets into anything else, in, in the next section, so next week's sermon, we're going to get into divisions. We're going to get into Paul correcting. Uh, but before he gets there, he's celebrating God's grace in their life. That's why he can be grateful for them. Because he sees them through the lens of what God is doing in their life. I think this is important because when we view other Christians as objects of grace, we can't help but be grateful. When we see them primarily of what is God doing in their life, then we can be grateful for them, even if they're opposing us, even if they're in error. Again, I want to be abundantly clear, those things are important and should be dealt with, but we can still have a grateful spirit towards other believers um, uh, because of what God's doing in our life. So we really must seek to see others as God sees them. Even if they are misusing their gifts and abilities like the Corinthian church was. And I think the other application from this is that gratefulness should, as much as possible, gratefulness should precede correction. Before correcting, we express gratitude and gratefulness. We see what God's doing in their life we show that we, we, even if it's just internally, we, we pray for people. Let me encourage you, if there's someone that, and, and maybe it's, an, it's another believer, and I think that's the main context here is other believers, but, you know, someone who's just kind of a thorn in your side or whatever, let me just encourage you to pray for them. Let me just encourage you to, um, to, to see what God and, and to see what God is doing in their life and celebrate. I, I guarantee you that will help you be more patient, more loving. Uh, it, will, it will color how you have conversations with, with those people. And, uh, and, and then if for no other reason, wouldn't you want someone to treat you that way if you were the one that was the thorn in their side, you know? I mean, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm above being a thorn in someone's side, you know. Someone tried to vote me to get me out of the church today. So, um, but uh, just seeing if you're listening. So, uh, but, uh, but the point is, is um, uh, you know, we just need to see other people through as God sees them as objects of grace, first and foremost. It's amazing to me that Paul is able to do this, and it's instructive and I think it's something we should emulate. Okay, so Paul's gratefulness is based on seeing the grace of God on the church. That's what he wants to set around before moving to correction. There's another thing, though, 
And that Paul, he talks about God's faithfulness here. In verse 9, and and I'm going to go back up and and deal with a couple other things in the verses there, but in verse 9, he says, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the thing that he wants to center before he moves to correction. Before he moves to any other topic, he wants to explicitly, uh, explicitly say, God is faithful. God is faithful. He wants to celebrate that. And so his gratefulness for the Corinthian church, for what the position that God had placed him in, was based on the fact that, hey, God is faithful. That's what we need to center on. No matter all the divisions, no matter all the sin struggles that that church was going through, okay? And and we're going to see it's a lot. It's a lot. And and we're going to see that that it's so much so that that he's going to told that there's some people that they need to be put out of the church because they're not acting like Christians. And, and we have no reason to believe that they're Christians. And so he says, listen, but he's going to deal with all those things. But what does he say on the front end? God is faithful. And let me tell you, as we navigate these, these, these days and, and years and the, and the situations in life, whether it's a health concern, the reality that God is faithful is so comforting and helpful. When you don't know you know, what the doctors are going to say, when you don't know how the bill is going to be paid, when you don't know how uh, your children will turn out, you don't know how that relationship is ever going to be restored or whatever the case may be, the reality that God is faithful. When, you're, when you know you have to do something that's difficult, like Paul saying, I've got to talk to these people. I've got to tell them that what they're doing is wrong here. The reality that God is faithful is so helpful and empowering and encouraging here. So Paul, he personally experienced God's uh, faithfulness here. And how did he show it? Well, and, and one of the things I wanted to, to point out here is that um, the New Testament uh, is, was originally written in Greek. And so uh, you, when you're doing word studies, that's why people will say, you know, well, the Greek word for this is that. I don't want to talk about a Greek word, but I did want to point out something that's, that's interesting about the Greek language is that word order is very important and it's different than ours. And if you've studied other languages, this will be familiar to you. I remember studying uh, Spanish and all of a sudden like realizing adjectives, you know, came like, I think it's after the noun, whereas here they become first. So we say blue car, not car blue. But in another language, they would say car. Here we're, this is what we're talking about. Now, what kind of car we're talking about? That's logically how their language works. For us, we want to describe it first, okay? So word order is different in different languages. In Greek, what Greek does is whatever's first in a sentence is most important. That's the emphasis, if you will. So if you want to make, um, so, you know, if I wanted to say, um, you know, uh, Mia and I went out for dinner. Okay, so well, my daughter just left, apparently. So, so Mia and I uh, went out for dinner. Okay, well, if I want to emphasize that it was Mia, I put her first. But if I want to emphasize the dinner, I would say dinner Mia and I had. You know, or something like that, just to give you an idea. So word order is important. Here, in verse 9, faithful is first. Boom. What Paul is saying there is like, this is what's most important. This is what I'm communicating here, the faithfulness of God. So before we get into anything else, 
Before we start going through, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to stop doing this and all this. He says, I'm grateful to you because God is faithful. Faithfulness of God. That's the reason why. And he sees it. And he saw it. I mean, he believed. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 says, uh, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Paul understood that verse. He knew that verse. He believed that verse. Paul refers to God's faithfulness in his letters in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians and the 2 Thessalonians and in Timothy. He refers to the faithfulness of God. But think about Paul's life of how God's faithfulness was on display there. In times of shipwreck, in times of when he was imprisoned, when he was beaten, I mean, there were situations where Paul was, it was so bad that they had to let him down uh, the outside city wall with, uh, in a basket to escape persecution. There was times where they beat him so bad they thought he was dead. And they just left him outside and he wasn't quite dead yet. And what did he do? He went back into the city and proclaimed the gospel. Why? Because God is faithful. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine walking, limping, back, bruised and bloodied back into the city to preach the gospel. Then there was other times that he just moved on to another city. There was a time where when he was shipwrecked, he went on an island. You remember what happened? Snake comes out and bites him. Now, if you know me, that's like one of the worst things that you can imagine. I hate snakes. I just just cannot stand them. I don't understand them. Um, There's a reason why the devil will use the serpent. I mean, it is, I just don't like them. And so this idea of a snake coming and biting me, yeah, no thanks. Uh, no thanks. And then it's interesting in that story, what is it they thought, oh, this is because, you know, the gods are judging them. And then when he doesn't drop dead, they're like, well, he is a god. You know, the, the fickleness of people. But even through all that, God is faithful, right? I mean, it, he went before uh, tribunals and, and all these things God is faithful. He was able to say, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. That's what Paul said. Whether he had plenty, whether he didn't have enough uh, uh, money to, to pay for food, or he says, I've learned to be content. How could someone like that say that? How could he do it? Because God is faithful. God, he, he, never, he never denied the fact that God was going to keep his word, that God was going to be faithful. And so this is what motivates his, his, his gratefulness. He says, because I know, even if you're misusing your gifts, I know that God is faithful. Now, they're going to, they're, there's going to be consequences for that. And, and that's the reason why he's telling them not to do it. But he says, but God is faithful. And he will continue to work and he'll be patient with you. God is faithful. And so the faithfulness of God. Uh, but then, uh, so not just Paul's own experience, but, but also what the Corinthians here is. This is what he saw, is he saw that God faithfully called the Corinthians into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This fellowship is the idea of, uh, of partnership, of coming together. We're really going to hit this in chapter 10, of, of the, in, even into 11, when 
when we get there, but this idea of fellowship is crucial to Pauline literature. Uh, he is going to talk about this a lot here, and it's always the idea of the gathering together of believers, that the people. Now, I will say this, that the word is also used in terms of participation and things like that, but there's always a layer to it that is more than just we're doing something together. Um, there's, there's something deeper to it. And so uh, he says that what God has done, he's faithfully called them into the fellowship of his son, uh, Jesus Christ. Um, he says, you know, if God has brought them together, then God is going to continue to work in their lives. Now, they've got sin that they've got to deal with, and God's going to deal with them on that. But God is going to be faithful in the midst of all of that. Um, it's kind of like, you know, you get these emails from time to time, and it's just like, you know, I don't, what is it called? Like the user agreement, the, the terms have changed. You get these all the time. It's like, and so it's like, you try to figure out, okay, what are they, you know, which child are they taking now? Or whatever, you know, what, you know, what are they doing? They're just changing things all the time, and you got to try to stay on top of that. The terms of use never change with God, okay? He's faithful. He's faithful. He doesn't change at midstream. He's faithful. Now, we can sin against him, and, and those are the things that he deals with us on. But he shows his faithfulness even when we're sinful. So God faithfully called the Corinthians into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. But then we have this other thing here, and we see this where he's mentioned it in the verse before. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is where it talks about how God will faithfully sustain believers to the end. I told you that this word is the same root word as the one that uh, was uh, confirmed in verse 6. This has the idea of establishing and settling. Um, it's remarkable that Paul says this of the Corinthians, knowing all their problems. But yet he says this because he's seen God's grace in their life. He's seen that he's gifted them. He's seen that he's working with them. And he says this ultimately because his confidence is in God's faithfulness, not in the Corinthians. And so it's important to understand, though, when that word guiltless there in verse 8, that does not mean sinless. Okay, that's not what guiltless means. It has the idea of being blameless or free from accusation. It says that God will faithfully keep you free from accusation until the end. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to be sinless. It doesn't mean they're never going to sin against God or make mistakes. He says that God is going to make you blameless all the way and keep you blameless until the end. He's going to sustain you in that way. This is, this is an amazing concept. Um, we, keep, we have accusations all the time from the enemy. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it talks about how the enemy, the accuser, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's always making accusations against us both to us and then also to, uh, to the Father or through, through the Son. Accusation, and we, we, we sang about that, by the way, in the song Before the Throne of God Above, right? We sang about that. It said, when Satan tempts me to despair, right? That's an accusation, okay? Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look to see him there. He made a ransom for all my sin. I think the word goes in the end there. See, this is, this is that, that's this right here, that he will sustain us until the end. It's an amazing concept. Um, accusations from within, 
Um, this is, you know, we think, well, how in the world could I do this? How in the world could, and boy, you know, if, if I sin this way, surely God couldn't love me. Surely God couldn't forgive me. I, I've had conversations with people and says, God couldn't forgive me. No, he could because he's faithful. Because he's promised he would. If you repent of your sins, you ask him to forgive you of your sins, the Bible makes it very clear that he will do that. He's faithful in that. And so what is our role in this? Our role is to believe. Our role is to repent of sin and to ask God to forgive us of this. And then we, and we continually do that. We do that if we, if we sin, and, and, and what do we do? We repent and we ask God to forgive us of our sins. But he's working in us in his faithful work to sustain us until the end. That's what the text says. He will sustain you till the end. Now, some people you know, have questions on this. So this is like obviously get into the, the conversation about eternal security. I'll just give you this. I'm not going to spend a, another sermon preaching on this, but I'll, I'll just give you a few verses that you can uh, look at here and say that this is where I believe that the whole of Scripture, uh, at least the Pauline writing, is teaching this idea that if someone is a believer in Christ, he's a true believer in Christ, God will sustain them till the end. In other words, they won't lose their salvation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. Sealed. Okay? That's an important concept there. That he seals us to, to when? The day of redemption. Philippians chapter 1 says this, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. 2 Corinthians, this will be the last one I give you for you to consider. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so the, the, the whole of what Pauline theology about this is that when, when someone is truly a believer, they, they, they confess their sins and they repent of their sins, God will faithfully sustain them until the end. It's not because we gotta, we got to keep it, we got to maintain our salvation. No, we, we trust in God. Now, that raises a lot of questions, right? That raises a lot of questions. And by the way, um, uh, some of you may recognize the name Charles Stanley. Uh, he wrote a really helpful book many years ago on the subject of eternal security. And so if you want to read through it or something like that, I have a copy I can loan you. But um, it's, it, it's a helpful book on it. But I need to make some qualifications here because it is important that this does not mean that everyone who necessarily claims to be a Christian is a Christian. Okay? Um, there are a lot of people who, who say they believe in God, but they don't show it at all. Because it is reasonable to understand that there should be some sort of transformation that takes place. That's called the fruit. Uh, John chapter 5 would be a, uh, excuse me, 15. John 15 would be a text you'd want to read through about that, of showing fruit after you're a Christian, okay? Now we all, and here's the thing, is that there's not a universal metric for this. There's not of, uh, oh, okay, so by week one, you should be doing this, and week two, you should be. No, God works in different ways, and so we need to be very cautious about making a determination of someone else's if they're saved or not. In fact, that's really up to the Lord. But the point is, is that this idea that he will sustain you to the end does not mean uh, that just because someone says, okay, yeah, I, I'm a Christian, that they necessarily are a Christian. The Bible's very clear what it means to be a Christian. In fact, much of what has been saying here 
is talking about what it means to be a Christian. It means to be someone who's using the gifts that God has given them. He's, they're being enriched by Christ. And then even how they respond to sin in their life. Do they repent of sin? Do they want to change? If there's no desire to change, there's no desire for repentance, you have to wonder, is the Spirit of God really present there? Um, one author uh, wrote this that I thought was helpful. Uh, this is a theologian by the name of Craig Blomberg. He said this. He says, those whom the Spirit has generally indwelt will experience transformation. Those who begin this process can rest assured that God will be faithful to complete it. Of course, such verses provide no assurance for professing believers who have never shown any evidence of the gifts of the Spirit. Eternal security is not a doctrine to be applied glibly to all who have claimed to be a Christian, however superficial their commitment has seemed to be. So all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to balance this. What I'm trying to do is when I say, listen, God will sustain you to the end if you're a Christian, you know, the thought then comes is, okay, I guess it doesn't matter how I live then. You know, I can do whatever I want then. Well, no, because the Bible is very clear that there's a transformation in how we will respond to the Spirit's prompting in our lives, that we will, be, we will repent of sin, that we will uh, uh, acknowledge our areas of need to growth. And so if we don't have any of those things, then we have to understand, do we truly understand the gospel? Okay. So we're just trying to balance this out a little bit. So in other words, if someone prayed a prayer when they were little and then have lived a life completely devoid of spiritual fruit, they really should be concerned for their eternal state. Again, I refer to you to John chapter 15. So let's go back to what this section is about. I had to bring it up because it was there. And some of you are probably thinking about that. So I needed to address it. But what's what's the context of this? Again, it's Paul's gratefulness. That's what he's talking about. He's expressing his gratefulness here. When we meditate on God's faithfulness, how can we not be grateful? When we meditate on what, uh, 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 and we see God's faithfulness in other people, how can we not be grateful? That's really what Paul is, is, is exemplifying for us here today. So I, I, I end with where I started, that Paul's gratefulness for the Corinthians was based on seeing God's grace and knowing God's faithfulness. So as I wrap this up, what does this mean? Well, it means is that we often rush to point out people's flaws or shortcomings with little to no thought of what God has done and is doing in their lives. Again, I want to be abundantly clear. It's not that the flaws and the sins and things are unimportant. It's let's think first of what God is doing in their life so that then we can address those in the right spirit and in the right way. The other question to ask, if God were as patient with us as we are with others, where would that leave us? I am really glad that God has been very patient with me in my spiritual growth and that he has sustained me and he is, he is faithful because I have failed so many times, so many times. And yet I lean back on God's faithfulness I lean back on the fact that, that what, again, that, that, that it, is, it is God's faithfulness that I am leaning on, that I am trusting. Do you realize that our salvation is completely dependent upon God keeping his promise? Our forgiveness of sins is 100% dependent upon God keeping his word and being faithful to his word. 
Because if he changed his mind and said, by the way, no, I'm going to change what we're doing here, where would that leave us? We need to repent. We need to exercise faith, of course. But God has to be faithful in that and do what he says. That's why Paul ends with, God is faithful. God is faithful here. God is very patient with us in our way too slow spiritual growth, and so we need to extend the same grace to others. And if we see others as God sees them, I guess that's what I'm calling for us to do today. Help us to see others as God sees them. Then we will love them. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians 13 when we get there what that looks like. You see where this is all tying together here. And not only will we love them, we will celebrate God's faithfulness in their lives because they're works in progress as well. And then when we do need to have those conversations, then we do need to confront, we do need to talk to people, it's coming from a position of love and gratitude rather than irritation and annoyance. 